Hello there. A special edition of our podcast today, uh, just as a little, um, almost footnotes, really, for um, the conversation that we had with Greg Gemmon the other day uh, regarding the MLS Cup final, because not only did we touch on that, but also the state of the US men's national team and the MLS as a league. It was a long conversation, and so I wanted a platform for that to be able to breathe without the constraints of the regular podcast. So here it is. Enjoy it. Yeah, we'll see you on Thursday um, as usual. All right, we are delighted to have Greg on, who is our resident MLS expert and uh, US soccer devotee. And uh, yeah, we're delighted to have you on. You're here to look uh, forward to the MLS Cup that's happening this Sunday. Well, thanks for having me. I'm not, uh, this isn't the matchup I was hoping to see, at least on half of the no, side. Indeed. Uh, I'm an LASC supporter, and it's very disappointing that this season turned out the way that it did, but uh, we'll touch on that, I'm sure. What can we kind of uh, expect to see on Sunday? What kind of uh, setups will the both teams get? All right. Um, starting off the top, this uh, matchup, Seattle versus Toronto, is the third time in four years that these teams have met in the final. Um, in 2016, uh, Toronto at that time was arguably the uh, best setup MLS team of all time, and I I'm, wow, really? don't know for sure, but I think the stats bear that out, like number of points, number of wins, yada, yada, oh, yada. Wow. By far the biggest payroll at that time. So that final made it to Toronto, and unfortunately for uh, friends in Toronto, it uh, went Seattle's away. They won the final without a single shot on goal. Uh, <laughs> wow. Maybe not even a single shot. It went to penalties. Uh, Stephen Fry, who we'll talk about uh, a little bit, he stood on his head. He made one of the, the more famous saves uh, in MLS history. And so Seattle won that in penalty kicks, rather ugly. And then the very next year, Toronto reasserted their dominance. And I don't remember exactly, but I think they won 3-0, 4-0, something like that. So. Cool. Well, I've got to say that I'm going to be rooting for Seattle. They are kind of nominally my uh, MLS team. I, I, it's the only MLS team I've seen live uh, in Seattle. It was in a CONCACAF. Champions League game, so nominally they are my uh, my team. I, I like how they uh, go about things in terms of their fans and things. So I actually took Atlanta on a couple of weeks ago, and because they were looking really good, yeah. and then Toronto actually beat Atlanta. So, yeah. Yeah. and also, to, I mean, to be fair, Seattle intrinsically, I'm a Portland fan, so it's hard. Or originally, rather, a Portland fan lived two years up in Eugene and saw a lot of Timbers matches when they were in USL. But yeah, Seattle definitely uh, laid the template for sort of the next level of what MLS could be uh, in terms of fan support. Relevance in the city was a big one. And then you see that manifested to a whole other level uh, with both Atlanta, the way they came on uh, two years ago, I mean, filling a, a filling a football stadium uh, at will. Um, and then last year with LAFC, although their stadium's smaller, their relevance in a t- in a largely sports and different town, their relevance has been really something to see. I mean, it doesn't help, or it doesn't hurt, rather, that uh, they've put together an ownership group, a brand, and a roster that's just next level. So, yeah, so there's a little bit of that. And, and you know, Toronto, much the same way. They started in 2005, a lot of fan support, but they were bad. Historically, uh, they, they had a player, I think he was English, uh, Danny Dicchio, originally. Oh, no, no, it was a Dutch guy. He said that they were the worst team of all time, or the worst team in the world, or something like this. You can quote me on that. Yes. Something that's, that that's quite impressive in that league. And, but then, yeah, just a handful of years ago, uh, Toronto up the ante. They got some serious money. 
in their ownership group, um, completely re re retooled their stadium, brought uh, Sebastian Javinko over from Juventus. He wasn't the, the center point of Juventus at the time, but he wasn't a bid player either. Um, and so, yeah, they made Jermaine Defoe. Uh, your, you know, for uh, English yeah. fans will remember that name for yeah, sure. Absolutely hot. As a Spurs fan, yeah, I remember him really well. Oh, of course, yeah, yeah, yeah. And so, you know, what a so, legend. So, you know, in, in the relatively short history of Major League Soccer, um, oh, you know, we've hit on two franchises that have really, really upped the bar. Because uh, believe me, going to games in the late 90s, watching games in the early 2000s, you know, as an American soccer fan and, and apologist, you know, in hindsight, I was I was defending high school soccer. I didn't realize it, but, you know, sure. I, I was defending U18 soccer back in those days. But And you look at where it's become now. Um, you know, I've said this before, going to games uh, the Rose Bowl, Galaxy games. If you saw somebody selling T-shirts out of a van, you're like, oh, wow, you know, come a long ways. And now you go to these stadiums and there's, you know, pro shops and the whole nine yards. It's pretty cool. So why do you think? Oh, sorry. No, that's well, I was going to say, why do you think the United States uh, national team then suffered so badly? I think at the time, I think it's a youth pipeline problem. We had a missing generation of players. You look at the likes of Rex Shea, who played. I want to say he went to Stoke for a okay. little while. Juan Agudelo, I think he dipped his toe in England for a little bit. And a lot of these younger American players who were supposed to really, really, really develop, honestly, they got on. They got on uh, more money than they were worth in Major League Soccer, so they didn't have okay. incentive to leave, and wow. they never really truly developed. But then also, too, you know, it's like, okay, we didn't qualify for one World Cup, but keep in mind, we hit the post three three times in that match, right? We're, you know, grand total of six inches from it not even having this conversation in this two-year-long two panic about the state of U.S. soccer. And, yeah, there are a lot of weaknesses. There are a lot of cracks, no question. But, you know, it's it's a cruel, cruel game. And, Do you yeah. think no qualifying for the World Cup, though, has put the MLS a little bit back, maybe? Yes and no. Uh, maybe in perception, uh, yes. But for a young league, it definitely doesn't hurt. But then at the same time, it's, you know, you could ask the question, did, in 2002, when we made it to the quarterfinals, and but for a Torsten Frink's handball, which nowadays in VAR would have been a penalty kick and a red card. Yep. We're in the semifinals, right? And did that launch MLS? No, it no, didn't. It did no, it no. did not. I mean, you know, it, it helped, no question. So, you know, did it hinder it? I think you just need to look at the results. There's a lot of people with a lot of money investing a lot. These aren't stupid people. They're not looking to throw away money. Sure. And so, but then again, a lot of the boost in quality, I mean, make no mistake, much of the boost, if not all of the boost in quality has been Pipeline and young South uh, South American players, especially the pipeline from Argentina to MLS, is insane. And the playoff system, do you like that with the league, or would you rather like a, a league situation in England when you play the games, win the title, and there's a relegation and promotion thing? Uh, well, that's two or would three. That that's yet? two or three podcasts. Yeah. Oh, okay, okay, we'll leave <laughs> that for another day, people. Oh yeah. no, 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 a sentence or two each. Sorry. <laughs> I like the playoffs and the fact that. These game, you know, the games are really, really high stakes, really high tension. But part of the reason that they're really high stakes and really high tension is you don't have a conventional league champion. No, and you know, it's also to the American sports landscape, the, the the history of soccer in this country is rich, but it's all underground, <laughs> and not until just the last few years has it ever been on stable footing. Uh, nominally, the teams are still losing money, though that's not strictly true. You know, it's it's I get it that. 
have to have a playoff structure to appeal to the American sports landscape. Totally. So I was going to say is also as well the way that the league is structured that not every team plays each other on the way. So there's got to be some kind of well, that's another issue too. Yeah. Uh, travel. When they interview a lot of the players coming from Europe, especially one of the things they talk about is travel. Uh, you could play. You know, you could play from next year. Miami comes into the league. You could have to play in Miami and then Vancouver. You yeah. know, the very next week. That's, a, that's yeah. a seven hour flight. It's like a Chinese league every yeah. week. Yeah. It, it does nothing for your carbon footprint. Yeah. Like and, and, one, and then, moreover, to keep costs down, it's still a league rule that you're only allowed a few charter flights a year. <laughs> and so, you know, these guys are flying commercial, you know, spending a buttload of time in airports, things like that. And so, the point being, it's the travel sort of mandates conferences, the conferences sort of mandate ge- geographic conferences. The conferences then sort of mandate an unbalanced schedule. And so then, yeah, your home-and-home home situation becomes meaningless. And, and you know, we have a, we have a trophy uh, in the U.S., or in, in MLS, rather, called the Supporter Shield. And that goes to the team with the best regular season record. And however many years ago when the league was smaller, it was just a straight-up home-and-home system. And so the Supporter Shield meant something. But now, yeah, with an unbalanced schedule, and, you know, there's so much parity in the league because of the salary cap that, you know, how many teams are actually in the league? I, you know, I don't even know right now. There's so <laughs> right. many. Okay. I think they're 24 I think this year. Some keep sneaking in yeah, without yeah. people noticing. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> they're 20, 74 teams. No, they're, they're 24 this year uh, okay. since Cincinnati came in. Miami's coming in next year. And it's already, That's David Beckham's team, yeah? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Beckham owns it. Their stadium looks really, really nice. But then Nashville uh, is coming into the league. It looks like they're doing some good things. Uh, St. Louis has already been earmarked. Austin, Austin, Texas has been earmarked, but that oh. was that was really really squirrely uh, how they got in. And then lastly, just uh, oh, in the last week or two, Sacramento, which has been a culturally a fantastic thing in Sacramento, from what I understand. But yeah, Sacramento Republic, you know, they're getting twenty thousand for USL games. Jeez, they're re- they're really relevant in the community, and yeah, they're coming in in however many years. So they're twenty four now. They're going to be twenty eight. Is it time to look at a second division then? Maybe, uh, but to follow up on that other point about promotion relegation, you're asking a lot of very well, wealthy owners and a yeah. very lot of a uh, lot you of wealthy owners that money. Yeah. yeah, and you know now the buying into the league is upwards of three hundred fifty million dollars or something absurd. I, yeah, I, I remember, I remember you know in Atlanta United they're valued at four hundred fifty million or something uh, with other stadium. I mean, you know, if you want to, isn't that a sad indictment of the game though? That it's the money that's. Yeah, but that's that's you know, okay, that is everywhere. Okay. I mean, yeah, of course cool. it is. Yeah, exactly. No, I'm just saying. <laughs> I, everywhere, but, you I'm know. an old romantic. What can I say? I'm like, wow, you want 50 teams in a league? I don't think Man City fans have <laughs> any problems or Chelsea fans have any problems. But where's the excitement then? But the point, well, the point being is that we say grow up, but where is the excitement? But the point being is that the, these uh, ownership groups have invested a ton of money. And at what point are you going to say, all right, you're second division? And it could, I mean, it could happen. You could work out. I mean, these aren't intractable problems. You could have to work out some revenue sharing, much like the par- parachute payment in the Premier League, you know, when a team gets relegated. And so, yeah, it's 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 not infeasible. And I think it would help a ton just yeah. in the sense that every USL market, you know, would be invigorated and things like that. Looking at the history of the professional game in this country, that's, you know, I'm not saying, oh, we should just be thankful for what we got. Well, we're not going to jump from zero to 60 miles an hour immediately, right? And, 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 you know, it's, it's, you look at, you look at Major League Soccer 99, 2000, the league was paying a buttload of money to put games on TV. 
Now you got Fox and ESPN trying to outbid each other totally. to split the rights, right? And so it's like, you know, I, promotion relegation, I think, will happen. But for me, it's not It's not a sticking. You reeled off all of the, the teams that had uh, just got into the MLS. How about San Diego? Uh, where, how do you see that happening ever? Uh, Personally, no. I, I mean, again, maybe. Um, if the right ownership groups comes along, you know, if this, if this vote last November went differently, this would be a very different conversation. Mm-hmm. Again, Rod said it's about money. We haven't put together, you know, since day one, uh, MLS has been interested in San Diego. It's um, a big soccer town. Well, they had the MLS All-Star game here in 1999. It went terribly, uh, terribly okay. poorly crowd-wise, but I went to that match. Um, it was a fun match. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, I don't know. Uh, you know, maybe maybe ultimately through a pro-rail structure. Yeah, maybe. Um, I would love it, of course. I, I would love to live in an MLS city. Uh, I think that'll happen by moving before uh, San Diego gets its head. We don't want to lose you, Greg. Fair enough. We should really uh, talk a little bit more about the final. And oh, yeah, kind for of sure. what, <laughs> um, And about what you think might happen, what's uh, your predictions, and players to look out for as well. Yeah, it's, it's, it's an interesting little matchup. Like I said, not a little matchup, it's... Sold out an NFL stadium in 20 minutes. Uh, I read earlier today that uh, it's the hottest ticket ever in Major League Soccer. Uh, re- retail value, retail sales, according to SeatGeek, are something like $640 on the average. Wow. And it's in Seattle, it's second only to their NFC Championship game in 2014, which I, th- which I think they won the Super Bowl. I know they won the Super Bowl, so it's probably that year. It's a big match. Um, like I said, third time in four years, these, these two teams have... Uh, met up, but I think from a from a soccer standpoint, it's interesting. Seattle is a much better, more well constructed team now than they were for either one of those two seasons, uh, okay. sixteen or seventeen. Toronto is not nearly the team they were. You know, as alluded to earlier, uh, at the time Toronto was the most costly and arguably best constructed team MLS had ever seen. So those tables have, have sort of tilted. Uh, Seattle is really happy to play without the ball. Um, they, it's you know their their trio of attackers uh, that have been making a, you know causing just tearing it up recently. And this is the thing: Seattle's attackers are in form. Uh, Raul Rui Diaz, Peruvian guy, played in Copa America. Uh, he sort of slots in as a false nine. Excellent. Uh, he's not a back to goal player at all. He comes you know he comes off uh, the defenders really well, finds that space. Uh, Nicolo Dero, uh, Copa America player uh, for Uruguay. You might remember the goalie scored. You might remember the goalie scored. Uh, Rabona over somebody took a touch, lower corner, one hell of a goal. Um, and I was like, yeah, that dude plays in MLS. And then and then Jordan Morris, the young American kid, uh, coming back from a catastrophic knee injury last year, but he's been on really really good form uh, since you know. Coming up, he was always the center forward type, but he's been moved to the wing. He doesn't have a left foot. He has two right feet. Um, but he's playing on the left inverted, and his ability is extremely quick. His ability to, to come in from the outside and find those gaps between the outside back and the center back, or sometimes even the center backs, you know, slashing in. Yeah, they've been in really, really good form. So it's going to put uh, – Raise some interesting questions for Toronto's back line, specifically because Omar Gonzalez, the U.S. international, has played uh, uh, however many seasons in Mexico, big money transfer back in the day. 
but uh, he came to Toronto midseason, uh, the summer transfer window, and Toronto's season actually was not very good before he came, and then after he showed up, I have the stats somewhere in my notes, but it suffices to say that uh, they shored things up a lot. However, uh, Omar Gonzalez hasn't played a minute of the playoffs yet. Uh, I don't think so. He's been in, he's been in the 18 the last two matches, um, but uh, if he's healthy, if he can go, he presents a different problem because he's a much more hold-the-line defender. He's a monster. He's 6'5". He's my size in the air, which also can make a difference on set pieces going forward. Still want to take you on, Greg. <laughs> but, um, but he's a much more stay-at-home defender. And their current pairing are uh, two, uh, a French guy, um, Mavinga, a Belgian World Cup player, though he didn't see the field, uh, Laurent Simon. Uh, both of those guys are more aggressive. They're more ball hunters. Um, and so they will step aggressively, front-footed, front-footedly, if you will, uh, into the space, like into zone 14. But that plays right, right, right into Seattle's hands because, like I said, Rollery Diaz is much more of a forward. Peels off the back line, works combinations. And Seattle has so much damn speed coming off the wings between um, – Nicolo Dero sort of plays underneath, but especially uh, Jordan Morris and Joven Jones, who are real slashers. So if they start pulling, uh, if they start pulling uh, either Mavinga or Simon, uh, you know, off the back line into z- zone 14, this could get ugly quickly. By the way, this guy knows exactly what he's talking about right now. Yeah. <laughs> this is like a masterclass here. Apart from <laughs> avoiding the question, who do you think's actually going to win? <laughs> um, well, I mean, a lot of it, yeah, it depends. I, I personally think Seattle will win uh, at home. It, it is interesting. Uh, Seattle is a better team without the ball. That's how they beat LAFC. Okay. Now, you and I watched that game together, Paul, mm-hmm. and one, they got out coached. Uh, you know, despite the fact that Bob Bradley is, is ar- not in ar- not arguably inarguably the best American coach ever, uh, he got out tactic by Brian Schmetzer, and you heard me on my rants about we had no gravity in the middle, or we being LAFC had no gravity in the middle. Um, but it, and essentially, I think Seattle had thirty one percent of the ball that game, so Seattle's like way more happy without the ball at home in front of seventy thousand people, some of the best fans in MLS, no question. I say that even as a Portland fan there's going to be an impetus on them to play on the front foot, and they can. Toronto is a much more old-school, like, slow-possession team. All psych- we could have a whole freaking podcast about Michael Bradley and whether or not he should be. <laughs> it could go from he's the best player on the field that he shouldn't be on the field. But, you know, Toronto is a much more possession-oriented team. But, um, you know, I was talking about Toronto center backs. If you watch that Atlanta game, the game they won, uh, Michael Bradley was a nightmare for the first 30, 30 minutes. It was largely because those two center backs snuck up, and then Bradley had to fill in as a center back. So the goal that they scored in the first three, four minutes was Bradley getting burned down the middle channel. The penalty kick that they gave up in the ninth or tenth minute, all right, was Bradley getting burned down the middle channel and giving up a penalty, right? So if that happens, you know, if, if Bradley's forced to drop in that space, he just can't maraud the way he used to. Um, and, you know, if you if, – if you're forcing him into being an emergency center back, this could get ugly. Okay, Greg, can I like bring you into a um, changing the subject totally? But I know you like a, a, a song from a football team in England from Sheffield United, <laughs> the Chip Buddy song. Yes, but I think you've adapted it now for Nashville. Am I yes, correct? yes, I did. Nashville being a music city. <laughs> in fact, I heard from that guy. 
I heard back from that. You dude. actually got a you, yeah, because I was here actually working the bar when, yeah, you, when you wrote the lyrics. Yeah, and but sent I don't, them to I don't even guy. remember them now. No, uh, I did a Pochettino song the same tonight. Oh no, like, I, maybe, I can maybe I, did, I can try to remember them, but this no. this might go off the rails quickly. No, no, no. <laughs> but it's it's yeah, it's it's a rework of Sheffield's uh, Greasy Chip Buddy song. Greasy Chip Buddy song, but, with, but with Nashville themes, yeah. and there are plenty in it. Nashville's a great town. In Me terms and Paul of music are English, and food, by the way. So. And we miss Chip Buddies all the time. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> They don't sound hard to make. <laughs> I know. You're, but a, freaking, you're a freaking the, cook, Rod. You can just make one. <laughs> no, it's, all, it's a certain type of bread, old boy. <laughs> you can make a chip butty by mistake. Like, it's, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I beg to differ, Paul. I beg to differ. We but need it, the bread. Yeah. No, to finish up on that, yeah. I, I sent the lyrics to, uh, I looked up the, the supporters group in Nashville. He said he loved it. He says it's a great idea, and he's going to try to incorporate it. Brilliant, brilliant. So if it shows up yeah. over the TV, it's, it's my doing. So. <laughs> what brilliant. time's the game anyway? This, oh, uh, yeah. It's yeah. on um, uh, 12 o'clock no- or noon, uh, our time, uh, Pacific time. It, uh, it's kind of early. Uh, it's on a- uh, Sunday, November Sunday. 10th um, on ABC, the, yeah. Not the big network. network yeah. So, yeah. Great. Thank you so much uh, for all your effort and everything. Uh, we're gonna I've, I've got that. seven more pages of tactical notes. Yeah, no. and we, <laughs> all, but we haven't got seven more minutes. <laughs> we all need a beer now. <laughs> they will appear in the show notes. Uh, yes, and but yeah, thank you so much. Brilliant. Thanks for having me, and it's been fun watching yeah. soccer with you guys. Brilliant. Right. Love you guys.